It's time to start unpacking with a brand new episode of the B Word Unpacked, hosted by the ladies of Good Stock Consulting, Kelly Kim and Ebony. Welcome back, B Pack. We are so excited that you guys are still tuning in. I know we took a little break, but it's because we all need it. And I hope that you guys have been taking a break as well. We have been through some chaos, and I think we all have pretty high expectations for 2021. But Homegirl has proven just to be as chaotic as her sister, 2020. So we more so, so, right? It's it's been a little disappointing, but nonetheless, we took some time off for some self-care and we got all that in, but we had to come back because we have a special guest today. It's one of our um, our co-workers, another extraordinary black woman. Mm -hmm. Um, She is a wife. She is a mom, Mm -hmm. a mom to twins. She is a licensed therapist. She is a social worker. She uh, counsels as well. She has about 15 letters after her name, Uh like a whole alphabet soup mixture. And she is my home girl from Hollywood, South Carolina. And I want you guys to give it up for Dr. Sarissa Huji. Welcome Welcome to to the B-Side. Awesome. It is such an honor to be here with you all this evening. I'm Dr. Sarissa Huji. I'm a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. And Kim, do not tell people I'm a therapist because you know people are always trying to get. I am a trained therapist. However, (laughs) I focus on prescribing medications and I am the founder and CEO of Mindspace Mental Health Education and Consulting, where I love to work with organizations providing workshops and mental health education to improve the mental health outcomes of the people that we all serve. What made you launch the company? You know, what led you down that path? Listen, you know, I don't know if you all know this or Ebony, you may experience this clinically, um, but when patients would come in my office, we would have this, you know, one-on-one work. I would prescribe their medications. They would get better but then they would leave my office and interact with the systems that would either help to facilitate or sabotage their mental health. Mm-hmm. And when I say systems, it could be the micro systems like their family, their community, their church, um, et cetera, or macro systems, you know, their employer, community organizations, government, all of these things. So I got the bright idea because, you know, I'm never just satisfied with a little bit of impact. Um, so I got the bright idea to partner with organizations providing them with mental health education so they could understand um, mental illness and really work to create environments that would help to facilitate people's mental health. I let me tell y'all why I'm always pushing her to be a therapist because Mm -hmm. one, the voice, okay? Is the voice not soothing? Mm -hmm. And two, it's because she always has such great insight to like common but complicated issues. And I think you've done such a great job with that in your new book. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? And I'll tell you the part that's really got me excited in the first few pages I've been able to read. Woohoo. So yes, I decided to write a book in the midst of all of the craziness and twins and all of these things this year um, called Cultivating and Creating Healthy Mind Spaces. And being a psych nurse practitioner, I work on the illness side of things. So people who are already Um, suffering from some type of mental illness and needing medication. But really, this book focuses on empowering people to prioritize and take charge of their own mental health. And I think that we can all do things. We all have issues. So we can all do things to promote our own mental and emotional wellness and our personal growth. 
So that is what the book is all about. Yes. And 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 what what inspired it in the the very first place? Because it sounds like you've been working in this space for quite some time. What made you say, I actually need to write this down, put it on paper to be able to distribute? Absolutely. So in working with organizations, I found myself saying the same things, right? Um, The same narrative, the same message. And so I decided that I needed to put this on paper because this book is really um, the basis for an organizational framework. It's a personal framework. Um, It's really the basis of everything that I do. Um, There are going to be more books called Cultivating and Creating Healthy Mind Spaces um, about various issues, but this is just kind of the overarching theme. So it had to be on paper. Yes. And is it in, and is it for a specific? So we know that mental health has many different um, mm-hmm. flavors, varieties, right? Some people is depression, some people is is anxiety, some people is schizophrenia. Do, do you have a specific um, targeted audience that can say, if I am struggling with this, this is a book for me? Yes. So one of the things that um, I did in the book is really connect people's mental health mm-hmm. to their ability to fulfill their purpose. Um, And so for me, it's I want people to be well, um, because if they're not well, then we're missing their unique contribution to our society. Um, Depression has the greatest burden of disease than any physical illness, than cancer, um, heart disease. People are more people are out of work worldwide for depression than anything else. Mm -hmm. And so really, it's about people's ability to fulfill their purpose. And it's more so the emotional wellness side of things. And really, when we talk about cultivating and creating healthy mind spaces, I'm encouraging people to assess their current season of life and determine what is necessary to promote growth right now, but also to sustain that growth over time. Um, So it's really about people who want to be, or for people who want to be intentional about their mental health, who are empowered, um, who wanna take control. And this does not take the place of seeing your therapist or your mental health professionals, but even your therapist is gonna give you things that you have to do. You can learn all these things in therapy, but if you don't go home and apply it, And so really this book is a guide for folks to do what is necessary to facilitate wellness. And when I talk about wellness, it doesn't equal happy. Um, You know, as as if you get the opportunity to read the book, you can have seasons of sadness and difficulty, but still be mentally and emotionally well and do what's necessary to support yourself in that season. You said that the book is a guide. And I think that's exactly true because after every chapter you have points to ponder. So it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, the high points from the chapter, but then you have some really deep uh, therapy like questions that you can start to use to, and what I'm considering therapy. Now I'm not, I'm not a therapist. So you tell me this is outside of therapy, but they feel like questions. questions. Yeah. yeah, They're questions to force you to really think um, introspectively about how you see yourself and how you function through things. The first two that kind of pointed straight at me. And I was like, why, why is Dr. Huger writing this book about me? But it's about emotional awareness and emotional vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And those, I couldn't get through the first two chapters because I got so hung up on the questions that I thought, oh God, maybe, maybe I do need to sit down with somebody. So tell me homework, girl. Homework. So tell me why you decided to introduce the book with these two very big concepts. Well, first, maybe explain what the concepts are and then why you chose to start the book with these two big concepts. Sure, sure. So no matter what, 
change always begins with awareness. You cannot fix what you're not aware of. Um, So I start with emotional awareness because so many people are walking around not understanding when they're triggered, being reactive um, and not responsive, you know, just emotionally all over the place. So it starts with being aware because if you are aware, then you are able to self-regulate. And one of the things that I say is you can't control how you feel um, because emotions are neurological processes um, to internal or external stimuli, but you can always choose how you respond, right? Um, so, So that's what I wanna say in terms of, okay, let's pay attention to how you're feeling. Let's assess what's going on in the environment. And it could be just little cues that let us know, because we don't know how we're portraying ourselves to people, how we're coming across, but they're little cues, sometimes changes in your body language, sometimes changes in your heart rate, your breathing, your responses, you might be a little bit more irritable. So really getting people to pay attention to that first, but then the next thing is giving themselves permission to feel those things. Um, And I say that we all have a forbidden emotion something that for whatever reason, it could be based on our family of origin, where we do not allow ourselves to access that emotion. And for me, it's anger, because I've seen anger portrayed in a very toxic way, um, in a very explosive way in my family. And so it takes a lot for me to connect to anger, right, and to give myself the permission to feel that. And when I have patients coming in my office, 100% of the time, they're saying, I should not feel this way. I should be over this by now. And really, that delays your healing because you're not even giving yourself the space to even feel that thing. And my favorite quote from the book really is, permission to feel is permission to heal. Mm Because then you can really begin the healing journey. I know because, you know, with Dr. Sorsa naming the emotion that she has been trained in life to, to suppress. Right. I'm wondering ladies, what is your emotion? Yeah. I think mine, mine for sure. When you, when you said that mine for sure is um, vulnerability. I can mm-hmm. show anger and, um, and I can show, I can show um, sadness as in, as in a form of empathy, but if there is something that is very personal to me, mm-mm. I'm gonna mm-hmm. take that one. I'm gonna take that one right on with me. Um, but to, yeah, to have that moment of because I don't know who I can trust with that, and so mm-hmm. it's trust you with it, and it, and it creates these walls and barriers. So I'm gonna dive in this book to figure out um, how mm-hmm. to break down those walls. So I can truly live a, a fully open, yeah, life. Yeah, yeah but the question really is, do you trust yourself with it? Right? I don't know. It starts with you being vulnerable, right? It starts with you giving yourself that permission all by yourself. You know, mm-hmm. is Eb, is is she going to access the fearful inner child or whatever it is that you need to allow yourself to experience, because anger for some people is easy because it's a place of strength, mm-hmm. right? Um, but it's really a secondary emotion. So what's happening beneath the anger, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so again, the emotional vulnerability piece, allowing yourself to feel those emotions, being present um, for whatever the season brings, whatever the moment brings, being present for that and experiencing it because they're lessons. 
um, that our pain teaches us. There are lessons in those things, but we don't want, we just want to brush past it. Oh no, I got stuff to do. I got to, you know, this right here. Oh, they ain't going to see me sweat. They're not going to see me, but really you're, you're suppressing. Eventually it's going to come out. Oh yeah. Who is it coming out on? When I tell people, um, I razzle dazzle on people that, that ability to cut you back before you even have a chance. Like if somebody is coming um, at me, I got a quick tongue that is not even a quick tongue in a way of, of cursing someone out. It's just a quick tongue of letting you know you can't get this close to me to even hurt me in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and it's a defense mechanism that I really have been of late trying to peel back those layers to mm-hmm. figure out like, does this really even serve what, how can I use this in a, in a more beneficial way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How does yeah. this even serve me? Mm-hmm. I, as I'm talking, as I'm listening to you guys, I'm trying to think, I don't know what the feeling is called, but I have trouble with excitement or expectations. Like I mm-hmm. not celebrate. That's why I'm pretty easy peasy to get along with. Cause I expect nothing from no one. I expect you to be mm-hmm. who you are. As long as you are consistent in that, I can manage you. I can't take highs and lows, but if you are, if you're a nice person, I expect you to be consistently nice. If you're a bitch, I expect you to be consistently a bitch and I can still interact with you because I have no expectations for what you are supposed to give to me. Hmm. If if that's a person that doesn't matter, I would think that's a person that doesn't matter, but you got to have expectations for people. I have none. Mm. But you assume they'll be able to do, Okay. Yeah, I think Trey, my husband is probably the only person I have expectations for. And when he does not meet my expectations, it sends me berserk. And yeah. so that's why mm-hmm. I keep that to just him. To just him? I can yeah. co-sign that, Kim. I can mm-hmm. co-sign that. I can co-sign that as well. So Rissa, you mentioned a few quotes that I want to kind of lift up or, you know, Mm -hmm. as you were talking, I was writing some things down. You talked about, you can't control how you feel. You can only control how you respond. So I want folk to really think about that and and try to internalize that. And then the other one that you highlighted that I want to underscore is give yourself permission to feel your feelings because I feel like mm-hmm. so many of us don't give ourselves permission to do that. And so just wanted to put a pin in those for our listeners so that they can really think about them, tweet those out and really try to seek that as you're reading through the book. But mm-hmm. the question I have, and it, this might be a curveball, I don't know, but you talked about um, one of the purposes of the book being helping people to navigate their mental health, really be cognizant about their mental health so that they can fulfill their purpose. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've been noticing lately is how many conversations that I've had about people stressing out about their purpose. Mm -hmm. So the, the pursuit of purpose is actually negatively impacting their mental health versus a sound mental health helping them to pursue or fulfill their purpose. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, yeah. Can you speak to that a little bit about maybe the pressure around purpose and how we can use mental health to potentially navigate that or wellness or however you want to frame that? Sure. I think the, the pressure around purpose though is related to comparison, mm-hmm. right? Um, comparing themselves. And I want to just read a little bit of a snippet um, the World Health Organization, this is in the first chapter or the quick overview of the book. Um, this is the World Health Organization's definition of mental health, which I thought was interesting. It's a state of well-being in which every individual 
realizes his or her potential, her own potential, can cope with the normal stresses of life, can work productively and fruitfully, and is able to make a contribution to her or his community, right? Um, and I think that definition to me doesn't even sound like a mental health definition. I was actually really surprised. The only thing that sounds mental health to me is like stresses of or being able to cope with the stresses of daily life. But I think what's critical here is every individual realizing his or her own potential, right? Um, and oftentimes, my husband says this, we judge our strengths by someone else's weaknesses or vice versa, right? Um, and so we're comparing ourselves and we're looking at, you know, all of the things that, you know, Dr. Butler Willis is able to accomplish, all the things that Kelly is able to accomplish, but not really understanding my own unique potential. And so I think we have it backwards. We're trying to pursue purpose without really understanding how we are made and what we can actually fulfill, what we can actually do in the earth. Yeah. Do you think that this has been exasperated by social media? You know, right now in the news, we're talking about how Facebook and Instagram impacts young girls. And I'm like, why are we acting like if this is new? I thought we yeah, were this surprise. back with Black Planet, right? <laughs> so, yeah. How do you think social media um, exasperates what you just discussed? Sure. We post on social media what we want people to know. Right. Um, so we're not going to post on social media that we just had a fight with our spouse or like, you know, my child pooped in the tub and then the other child peed all over the floor and I was devastated. Um, you know, so we're gonna post what people, we want them to see, our best photographs, the right makeup, the right filter. And I think it's just unrealistic, you know, honestly, not that we should post, you know, all of our personal business on social media, but I think because we're posting our best selves, then we're creating that narrative. Like, ooh, look what she's able to do, ooh. I did not post Max pooping in his Easter Sunday outfit when he was two, y'all. He <laughs> so fresh and clean in that little pastel romper. Kelly, you know, social media. Kelly's social media is. Yeah, I don't think Kelly's even on social media. You bring up an interesting point, though, because um, my, my little sister one time when, we, when she was in college showed me you don't know what it's like to not know what you want to do in life. Like when I, from the time I was eight, I knew I wanted to be a doctor. And I literally mm -hmm. tell people like, I, I mean, I literally don't have anything else I would rather I would want to do. Um, and so I never felt what it's like to have that uncertainty. And mm -hmm. I feel like the older and older I get, I meet more and more people who literally say just, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And it, and it, and I always end up getting confused and maybe um, Dr. Sarissa, you can speak on it um, because I'm sometimes I'm like, well, you can just pick like the world is so diverse. Mm -hmm. You can just pick what you like. So um, so how do you um, kind of give people action points or steps of how to guide them in determining this um, life purpose? Because I feel like mine chose me. Mm. You're lucky, Eb. You're really, really lucky. Yes. Friend, you're so many people are not in that yeah, same Yeah, it took me a minute to, to figure yeah. it out. Um, you know, yeah. now that I am in this space, it, everything makes sense to me yeah. um, in terms of the path that I took. But I mean, I've always been the person that listens to other people. Um, I've always been the person that people come to um, for their problems, when they need advice, when they need support. I'm talking about elementary school. I'm not yeah. talking about 
you know, since I was on the playground, right? Yeah. Um, so now it makes sense, but for whatever reason, it just took me a while to really discover. Even in mental health, there's so many paths that you can take. So it has. I think there has to be an intersection between what you're good at, like your abilities, your strengths, and then what you're passionate about. You know, like what is the thing that like makes you burn? Um, you know, when you start talking about it, you light up. Um, you know, you can talk about it all day and never get tired. Right. Um, you know, and so most people know what they like, right. Um, you know, in, in most cases, but then, um, again, what are your abilities? What are your unique strengths? Hmm. And for those who don't know what they like, and I'm not trying to sound like pessimistic or negative here, but figure out what you don't like. Right. Because I feel like it's easier to determine what I don't like mm-hmm. and then maybe go from there to move into the direction of what I do like. So yeah. what don't you like? Mm-hmm. Kelly, can I also add, I think I started off with just what can I do? Like, what am I just naturally good at without having to try so hard or exert so much? Um, and then find ways to make that work for you. Find ways to make that a job for you. But I think I've always been focused on a job. Like I'm pretty a list, mm-hmm. a, like, I just need a list to do. And I know I'm supposed to do it. So I'm going to check it off. But I think like Eb is saying, as we're getting older, you have more, um, what is that? Is this a midlife crisis where you, yeah, I where think you it's the point? Crisis. Yeah. You're I like, I've been checking all the boxes. Yes. But have I been checking boxes because it's what I want to do or have or I been expected. boxes? Because mm-hmm. I feel like I'm supposed to do it. Right. It's a turning yeah. point. It's a turning right. point. That sounds yeah. bad. Yeah. Not midlife crisis, because I swear I'm Gen X and to all the Gen Xers out there, I, I feel like I've had this conversation so many times in the last month yeah. of people yeah. in their mid 40s, like, what the hell am I supposed to do now? Right. Like, what's <laughs> next? What you know? Next? Can you explain so- compassion versus compliance thing? Like, what, what is that? Yeah. So compassion versus compliance. Um, And and I told you, um, you know, when patients come into my office, they're saying I should be over this um, by now and so on and so forth. But nine times out of 10, when you ask the question, I would even say 10 out of 10, if you met someone else who had experienced the same thing um, and they had the same emotion around this thing, what would you say? Mm. Um, and almost always it's a response of support, of compassion, of grace, but for whatever reason, we have a hard time internalizing that same level of compassion for ourselves. So compliance is what I should be doing. Um, you know, this shoulda, woulda, couldas, and we all have shoulda, woulda, couldas because this is a lifelong journey. Right. Um, and then the compassion is, let me give myself grace for where I am. And again, that compassion is, I think, what empowers people to heal and to move forward. Um, but the shame of you should have did this, you should have did that, um, is really that self-deprecating language um, really holds people back. And it does not facilitate healing in any way, shape or form. You know, it's, it's one of those things is when you say you should have did this, this is things in the past, right? right. But what about people who have fear of the future? Uh, I saw this quote that said, um, worrying is praying for things that you do not want. And mm. I think actually my little sister told me that. And I was like, that is powerful. Um, worrying is praying for things that you do not want. You're, you're almost inviting. So when you're, when you, what advice would you give to someone who's struggling with this is my past 
what does my future look like? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. What advice would you give to them? Embrace your story. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, and so often, you know, we say, people say, you know, I am who I am in spite of, um, but really you are who you are because of your story. And I think that when you remove the shame from your story, um, you know, it doesn't have to dictate your future then. Um, because what shame does is it causes you to hide, right? And it's, and it's really a prison. Um, but if you release yourself from that prison of shame, most of those things you have had, you had no control over, or maybe you made decisions that you may not have otherwise made had you had different information or had you been in a better place emotionally or whatever the case may be, um, you can't change it. So embrace the story of it and figure out what it did for you. What did you learn from it? Um, you know, how can you heal and move forward? But I think a lot of it is just trying to tuck it. Oh, I wish this never happened. I wish this never happened. And I don't, you know, I'm not making light of, you know, people's wounds because I know that there's some, you know, deep wounds that people have, but because you can't change it, right. You could, you could do that all day long. You know, I wish this, I wish that. Um, But what, what, what's next, you know, what, how has this served me? Um, perhaps I may not have met certain people. I may not have encountered certain situations. Um, and then how can I take control of it and move forward? Can I ask you this, Larissa? You know, you talk about moving forward and really leaning into your story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might be a painful story. How do people navigate the collective painful story that we're all going through right now with COVID-19, which Mm. in some ways was purported to end, you know, July 4th and, you know, we're going to be COVID free and over the hump, God bless America. And we know that didn't happen. So Mm. how, what words of encouragement or what recommendations or strategies would you provide to women, especially who are struggling right now in this season of the ongoing pandemic that really isn't going anywhere anytime soon? Absolutely. And there's a lot of uncertainty in this season. And I know, you know, especially folks with anxiety do not do well with uncertainty. And by any means, like we need to have a cutoff date, we need to have, but I mean, the reality is life is uncertain, right? And every decision that we make towards the future, as definitive as it may seem, it's still a gamble, right? Um, And so my encouragement would be to just take each day as it comes. Um, You know, part of my story and part of what I included in the book was um, 12 years of infertility and really how I had to um, learn how to take each day as it came. And if it was a good day, um, then it's a good day. You know, if it's a bad day, then it's not a good day. Um, and I gave, I gave myself permission to have bad days. And I think um, in the pandemic, you know, in this, this narrative and all of these things that are uncertain, social justice, I mean, all of these things that we can just really be so angry about, Lord, um, be angry, be sad, you know, be anxious. I mean, it, to me, those things are legitimate. And it really goes back to that permission piece. Um, because I promise you, it takes so much more energy to suppress um, and to pretend than it takes to just have that moment or have that time frame to really just lean into whatever it is, and then you can regroup. 
Look at that. 12 years of infertility. Now you got double for your trouble. Listen, double. Look at Me? that. Double for your trouble. <laughs> yeah, give you what you need. Yeah. There you okay. go. Okay. Okay. So, I do want to ask. So you mentioned you mentioned your about with infertility or your struggle with it. How has writing this book been cathartic for you? Has it has it impacted your life just writing the book? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, because we're experiencing life, right? Um, my brain works in reflection mode. Like I'm always reflecting on what did I learn from this experience? But I don't know that that's the norm. Um, but sometimes it's, I think your perspective changes the further away you get from certain things. Um, right. And so I think my perspective was different when I was in it. Um, it's different, you know, now that my twins are 18 months old and it'll be different, you know, three or five years from now. Um, but it really was good to reflect on that time frame and look at how that experience has really shaped me, um, as a person, as a professional, um, as a mom, it was, it was really, it was some good insight. I enjoyed that very much. Um, and it really just taught me that I'm, I'm so much stronger uh, then I gave myself credit for like at the time I felt like my whole life was over at times. Um, but I really, um, you know, I really, I got through it, you know, um, God kept me, um, and encouraged me and, um, it was an amazing journey. I wouldn't do it again. Um, but I, at this point I'm grateful because of what it taught me. Hmm. I have a question. Um, and I actually tweeted about this today for, for those of us who, are impasse and you feel like people are constantly, um, when you're going through 12 years, mm. you're carrying your own weight. And people are like, but Dr. Sarissa always gives the best advice and she is always the one. And they are just dumping. Mm-hmm. They feel like an emotional garbage truck. Um, I give people in this pandemic, it's been now 18 months, the, the age of your children, <laughs> right? Um, of literally dealing with death and dying mm-hmm. in the hospital and seeing things that when you walk in the hospital, you think yourself going to die. Mm-hmm. And that people write me constantly um, with whatever they're going through in life. Um, and, and it can be, you know, either relationship stuff or, or health things, their, their cousins, their family, friends. What do you do um, to not cut people off when you're in that moment? Cause you mm-hmm. do value their relationship. And you do value their input into your life. But how do you tell people, I can't carry you. I absolutely cannot do this. Um, Another step. Mm -hmm. How did you do that for for 12 years? Mm. So one of the things that I do talk about in the book is understanding your emotional limitations and your emotional capacity. Um, And so now I have to be very strategic Um, even about how I expend my social and emotional energy, because I'm talking to people about their traumas all day long as a part of my job. I'm now a mom and I have these little people that take a lot of emotional energy from me. And so half the time, I just don't tell people what I do um, because I get, but then I have a magnet, I think where they find me. And now you have Um, a book. Right. But I think it's okay for you to say, I I just, I'm not able to do that. I had, I can't have that conversation with you. Um, I did, um, a podcast and somebody sent me a personal message and they started talking to me about everything that was going on with their daughter and this right here. And I said, you know, something, I don't work with individuals outside of my patient load. I primarily just do groups, but here's the information for a good therapist. 
So I provided a solution because I had a lot of empathy for her. Um, but I don't want, I can't help you yeah. um, in this capacity in my, in my DM and Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't take that on. Um, and just, I just can't do it. So I really turn off. Um, I don't answer phone calls that often. We text and, you know, and I just, I just have to be strategic. And, you know, my sister-in-law was asking me the other day, she said, why don't you tell people you're a doctor and, you know, you have this business and all of these wonderful things. I said, because I'm off. The blessing right. and the curse, right? right? Boundaries. Those are called right. boundaries, Dr. Hughes. Yeah, Hughes. I'm at Hello. church. And so I, they can find out who I am later. But right now, I am Tra- Tracy's wife at this church that he pastors. Um, I love it. Hi, you. how are you? And so I'm not, you know, people don't have to know who I am. You know, they'll know who I am when they're supposed to know. Well, what you do either. Mm -hmm. Um, Sarissa, I have one more question for you. And then I think Kim's going to start to wrap us up here. And this has just been an absolute pleasure. But I'm curious for all the listeners out there who might themselves be wanting to write a book. What was your process? Right. So you started writing. We're in the thick of a pandemic. You have two children. You're a wife. You have um, you have a job. So you have multiple responsibilities. Mm -hmm. So how did you approach just the process of putting pen to paper or typing, you know, your outline and conceptualizing this book so that you were able to get through it. Because I think for a lot of people, you know, the notion of writing a book feels fully unattainable. So what did you do to make it real? So I actually hired a book writing coach um, and she gave us specific activities. And she said in the beginning, you're going to write your book in a weekend. So shout out to Jasmine Womack. Um, And I was like, write my book in a weekend. What do you mean? Um, And she gave us these various activities on how we could organize our content. Um, And then we just talked, talked it out. You talk it. Um, And then you, you know, use editing process. So she has a very, I mean, she is the bomb.com because if I had, my husband had surgery, so it delayed my process a little bit, but in 12 weeks, I could have had this book in my hands. So, and it took me about five months a little bit longer um, than the whole process, but she's the bomb.com. That's nice. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm so proud of you for everything that I know you were doing during this pandemic. Yes. In addition to birthing twins, right. you still were able to make a lifelong dream come true. Mm-hmm. And you are one of my strong friends. And I hate when people say, check on your strong friends. No, stop asking your strong friends bullshit. How about that? Because you know they got other things going on. Right. So right. tell me, yes, outside of that nugget, mm-hmm. what else would you say is um, a gem of this book? And who do you believe is the primary? audience? So I think a gem of this book, I think women, women who are overwhelmed, um, who are frustrated, who feel like there's not enough hours in the day. um, I would say that this book is for you because oftentimes when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel that tension, that is when you need to assess your life and do something different. Um, So I implore you to get this book. You are absolutely your most valuable resource, right? Everything that you desire in life in terms of fulfillment, in terms of your wants, your desires, your dreams, it's dependent upon you. So I implore you and I empower you to pick up this book, Cultivating and Creating Healthy Mind Spaces, Nine Strategies to Emotional Wellness and Personal Growth. And it is available on amazon.com. And it's a great read. It's an easy read, but it's 
definitely give yourself time to think because it is mm-hmm. certainly people ask me to do it, um, you know, as a group study. And so I'm working on the workbook and, you know, it's, you know, my life is not my own. So y'all give me some time on the workbook, but some other things are forthcoming. Um, I want to do some workshops. I'm happy to um, work with your organization or any organization. If you think you need some mental health education and consulting, my website is www.mindspace.org and that's M-Y-N-D. SPACE.org. And we're Mindspace SC on Facebook and on Instagram. Well, Dr. Huji, it is always my pleasure to sit down and talk to you. And again, we are so proud of your accomplishments and so excited for where cultivating and creating healthy mind space will take you in the future. When you get on that Oprah list, just let her know that we we're here. (laughs) Come on. We want to be in the audience. Okay. We want to be in the audience. I love it. I love it. Yes. But we hope that BPAC, we hope that you're able to pick up this book on Amazon.com. And if you decide to start a book club with you and your girlfriends, let us know. Talk about it. Tweet about it. Let us know how it's going. Make sure you include Dr. Hughie in those comments. And let's keep the conversation going, y'all. Like she said, we are our best assets. And it's important that we take care of our mind and keep a healthy mind space. So with that, let's keep unpacking, y'all. Thank you for unpacking another B Word with Kelly, Kim, and Ebony. Follow the B Word on Instagram at the B Word Unpacked and follow Goodstock Consulting on Facebook and YouTube. Learn more about Goodstock at www.goodstockconsulting.com.